Hi, everyone. It's Melinda Garvey with the See It To Be It podcast. This week, we have another great interview with an incredible role model. Stay tuned. Welcome, everyone, to the See It To Be It podcast. I am your host, Melinda Garvey. And excited, as always, to be with you today because we are bringing you yet another incredible, relatable role model. That's our job at On The Dot, to bring women to you who are just doing amazing things so that you can see their path. So today is no different. And I'm really excited to welcome Sue Groner. She is the founder of The Parenting Mentor. And I have to say, when I first read about her, my first gut reaction that came to my head is, oh my gosh, I'm hiring her. (laughs) Like that was the first thing I thought about before I thought about anything else when I read about you. So welcome. I know like sometimes as businessmen, we don't talk about the parenting thing. So this is going to be really fun today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. What I'd love to do, you know, to start is just to kind of jump way back. You know, when you were growing up, what was your big dream? What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Well, when I was in elementary school, I didn't know if I was actually thought I was going to be it, but I did want to be an astronaut. <laughs> oh, very good. Lucky for me, I've had the opportunity to meet a number of astronauts, including Neil Armstrong, like the wow. year before he died. So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. So where did your path take you after that? Well, after that, then I thought I wanted to be a doctor and I was going to be a pathologist, like my best friend's mother, because I didn't like to give shots or draw blood or anything like that. But I thought the human body was fascinating. And so I thought I would go pre-med. I went and looked at a bunch of colleges with my father. And when we got home, he's like, honey, I don't really think you want to be a doctor. You never wanted to go to a lab or sit in a science class. And I'm like, yeah, but what am I going to do instead? And Lo and behold, I met someone on the train. I like to talk to everybody. I was still in high school and I met someone who was in marketing and learned all about that field and it really clicked with me. And so that's actually what I ended up doing and studying. Wow. Interesting. The jump from, you know, square in the STEM field, you know, science and engineering and aeronautics, all that to marketing. But of course, I know there's a lot of science behind marketing as well. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got into marketing and what you learned there that made you decide to take the leap to do what you're doing today. Oh, wow. Well, I don't really think what I did in marketing helped me to leap to this because there are so many little jumps in between. I got out of college. I went into advertising and I did that for a while. I really wanted my own business even early on. So I just opened my brain up to all sorts of ideas. You know, I mean, we're talking on like pre-computer days still. So things were a lot more manual, but I knew I didn't want to have inventory. I knew I didn't want to manufacture anything, but I just kept talking to everybody, which I still think is a great idea. You know, someone may say, I want to start my own business, but I don't know what to do. You just talk and talk and talk and you'll learn things. You'll learn things about other people's businesses, or you'll learn things about a particular need and niche area where that's just not being filled. I was called interior designer referrals, and I helped match people with interior designers and architects. And Mm. I did that for like three or four years, maybe. And I got lots of clients, didn't have any repeat clients because they didn't need to come back to me. And so I kept putting all this money into marketing and advertising. And, you know, finally I said, okay, I'm done with that. And I've done a number of other things in between. They've all been in creative problem solving. Mm Mm-hmm. And so even now I feel like the parenting mentor is creative problem solving. You know, parents have issues and worries and concerns and 
stresses and anxiety and how do you fix that? What's a different way of looking at a situation? And you know, when people ask me what I learned in college, because I have a business degree, I say I learned to think. And I really did. I learned how to look at an look at a problem, learn how to ask the right questions and think sort of out of the box. I was interested when I was reading about you, when you talked about starting the parenting method, what you realize is that so many of the techniques that you learned in business on how to problem solve and how to kind of talk to people and how to listen and get people to see sort of a point of view were very much the same things you were doing with your own children and advising (laughs) friends. And sort of had this aha moment like, hmm, maybe there's something to this. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I was helping people. You know, they would just come to me and ask me, you know, tell me what was going on with their kids. So I would say, how is everything? And then they would jump into some particular issue that was stressing them out. And I shared my ideas. I'm like, hey, have you thought about doing this? Have you thought about talking to them this way? Why don't you say da 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 da? And then I said, let me know. I want feedback, <laughs> you know, just because I was curious. It yeah. wasn't even really an idea to make this a business yet. But more and more people kept coming back to me and saying, your ideas were great, better than our therapist, better than this, better than that book. And then people started to, you know, why don't you turn this into a business? And I thought, huh, interesting idea. I love doing it. I think it's the most satisfying of everything I've ever done because I'm changing people's lives. Right. I think that if your family life is off kilter, you're struggling with your kids, you know, really everything is. And certainly as women, we have a lot of that crossover. I feel like not only am I changing the lives of the parents, which is my goal, but it also really changes the lives of the kids, which I think, you know, while that's not my ultimate goal, it's so important that we raise kids who know how to solve problems, mm-hmm. you know, and, and who have good coping mechanisms. And if, if we think about doing that, then all of a sudden, all these things that we feel like, oh my God, I need to fix this for my child. My kid can't be sad. They can't be upset. I need to fix this. That goes away. Those stresses, that anxiety about how's my kid going to react? How's my kid going to handle this? Go away because we're teaching them how to figure things out on their own. Well, you know, I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into that because, you know, I think that there's always a big buzz about this millennial generation. In the next couple of years, they're going to be 75% of our workforce. And I think that when you look at this problem solving, and I think there's been a lot of struggle with that in that generation, I think that they struggle with it. And you talk about, you know, just their self-esteem and, you know, how to kind of deal with those issues. You know, I'm just wondering from your experience, if you've seen a lot of that with the generation and just that particular struggle. Yeah, I have. I mean, I have to, my children are now 20 and 22 and I see, you know, with their friends and what they report back to me, you know, and they keep me abreast of what's going on with, you know, not necessarily their friends, but other people that are surrounding them that they see the issues that these young people are having. And I like to say from the beginning, first of all, any things that parents have done, parents of millennials who haven't allowed their kids to learn how to handle things on their own, it all comes from a place of love. There was no one sat back and said, I'm going to fix everything for my kid and help make sure that they're incapable of doing anything when they're adults, you know? It's all from a place of love. I think that the maternal instinct, which initially was, I need to protect my offspring from imminent danger, 
like real danger, like life-threatening danger. And it's evolved into this, I need to protect my child from sadness, frustration, disappointment, whatever little adverse feeling there may be, which isn't helpful. Or realistic. Right, initially, but ultimately it's not. I also think that right now with the crazy competition that's out there. There's so many different after-school classes and tutors and sports things that are all available. It creates more competition. And I believe that parents look at their role as sort of this 18-year engineering project, right? How can I turn my child into this like person who's going to have all these things on their resume and get into a good college? After that 18 years and they're in college and then you kind of think, oh, well, I'm done, which also isn't true. The engineering project doesn't work and it creates incredible conflict between the parent and the project, which is the child. And it creates disappointment between both of them. It creates stress. Child doesn't want to do what the parent's saying, doesn't want to play this sport. They feel like they're letting their parents down. I mean, it's just a bad cycle. Yes. I say, let's look at our role differently. Let's look at our role as raising self-reliant, self-sufficient, and kids who have good problem-solving skills and good coping mechanisms. I've even said before, you know, I look at my job is I need to raise someone who can be an adult. That's just the way I've articulated it. Like, how do we sort of let them be a kid, right? And understand that. And that's a struggle always, you know, believe me, I haven't mastered it. I employ a lot of young people and, you know, my heart hurts for them because they don't have, you know, these coping mechanisms and they're struggling and, you know, the struggle is real. I mean, I think it's real for our society with, you know, just what's happening with mental health and just the struggles there. Yeah. Our kids need to become resilient. And yeah, so how do we do that? And how do we help prevent all that anxiety that more and more kids are developing? I mean, I'm a lay person. But from my own experience and from watching what happens, if we're always telling our kids, oh, sweetie, don't be sad. It's okay. Don't worry. It'll be fine. Right? We don't want them to feel these feelings. The more they're going to feel them. But right. when they feel them, they're going to hear this message in the back of their head saying, I shouldn't be feeling this way. What's right. the matter with me? Why can't I not feel this way? Right? Instead of like, you're sad. Of course you're sad. I would be sad too under the circumstances. I don't blame you for being worried about X, Y, or Z. You don't know what to expect. And yeah, that's a cause for concern. That causes people to be worried. I know you can get through it, but I don't blame you for feeling worried about it. We give them the support, but we give them the validation for feeling the way they do. If you validate your kids' feelings, they're never going to say, oh, mom, you just don't understand right? Because we're saying we do understand. It's hard to feel these ways. The other thing is we need to talk about our feelings of adversity too, to our kids. Wow, I'm so frustrated right now, or this happened today and it was really difficult for me to handle, or, you know, the babysitter just canceled and I'm so bummed. I was really looking forward to going out with my friends or going out with dad. And now I can't, I'm really bummed about it. I mean, why don't we see that more? Let them (laughs) see these are normal, healthy, human feelings. 
And when we feel them, we also can get out of feeling them. And so, wow, look, my mom felt this way and now she doesn't. Not the end of the world. This is not a feeling that will last forever, right? It's that resilience piece. Right. And I think that what that points to is really that role model and, you know, role modeling, showing you're going to see me do this. And you're like, oh, okay, well, if she can do it, then I can do it too. I mean, that's really at the crux of it. You know, your company, the parenting mentor, you know, mentor is is just such an interesting word, you know, because you don't hear it much in this space particularly, but I think it's a really powerful word to you. So I just love for you to kind of talk about just, you know, the impact of someone, you know, being able to have a mentor and like how that helps with their psychological and their emotional development, you know, looking at it more as a mentor. For a parent in particular? Yes. Well, first of all, a mentor is more of someone, you know, been there, done that, and I can help you through it as opposed to there's something wrong with you and you need to go to therapy for it. I think it takes the pressure off and it takes the sort of feeling of what's the matter with me off of it. I mean, the fact of the matter is what I deal with is the everyday stress and anxiety. I mean, you could have perfect children and you're still going to have it because they're still not going to do everything you want them to do when you want them to do it. They may not like doing something that you really want them to do. You know, they may not like eating something you want them to eat or doing their homework, whatever it is. You know, they might not be tired when you want them to go to bed. How do you deal with all these little things so that you're not constantly stressed out? And that's really what I help with. And by giving, first of all, sort of a different way of viewing your whole role as a parent, but then really kind of simple skills and strategies and even scripts modify them, of course, but I like to work with people and give the conversation. The tone of voice is so important. The way in which you say something. Not screaming at the top of your lungs. Yeah, not screaming. (laughs) Also, when you say something with a smile on your face, you can hear that smile. You know, you can close your eyes and hear somebody talking with a smile or not. I just think it helps when we take that step back and we think about our child. Like you said, you want to raise an adult right? And yet we get lost in that because they're children. Right. Right. It's the struggle, right? You want them to be kids, but you also, you know, it's like, well, however, they can't be those adults when they're, you know, four or eight or 11, they are going to be four, eight and 11. And if we say, Hey, try to think back on what you were like when you were those ages, ask your partner, ask your friends. I mean, none of us were adults at that age. And to have the unrealistic expectation that that's going to happen is bad for everybody. If we instead can take away that projection part, like if my kid can't sit nicely at the table now, then they're going to have a lot of trouble when they're adults. I better do something about that now before I instill bad habits or let them have bad habits at the table. Okay. That is like a huge thing for almost every parent, right? Right. But it's not the way it works. A four-year-old just can't sit at the table most of the time. They don't want to sit there. They want to have a nice conversation. They want to take a bite and run around and then come back and have another bite. And so if we're like, okay, this is a four-year-old. Eventually, they're going to sit at the table nicely because everyone ends up doing that. Make it into a game then. You, You have to say, how do I want my dinner to be? Do I want my dinner to be all about me telling my child to sit down and eat? 
or do I want my child to eat his food and move on and I can sit down and have a nice relaxing dinner? What's the goal? The goal is for them to eat. You know, and I think a really interesting phenomenon is, um, so I have a 12-year-old boy. I was talking to some of the, you know, the group, the boy moms, and, you know, I was sort of like, okay, is it just my kid or do they turn into a five-year-old again? It's like, what happens with 12-year-old boys? It's really interesting because I think sometimes there also is that sort of misconception that it's a straight line, right? Okay, they keep getting better and better and better and better, you know, and they have these dips and it is the hormones and the, oh boy, here we go, you know? (laughs) So, you know, when things like that happen, you know, we don't want to say, what were you thinking? Right, because that's in my book. That's one of the forbidden phrases. <laughs> a really judgmental comment that's like, obviously, you weren't thinking, you know, or you were thinking terrible things. Like, we don't want to say that. It's probably something worth laughing at and saying, oh my gosh, you know, that must have been really fun. Was that fun? Was that crazy? You know, like there's a way around this to have this sort of open conversation that's not judgmental. You know, are you happy with the results? Do you feel good about it? Okay. If not, well, okay. So what do you think you might do differently next time? Right? That's not me saying, okay, you don't like your grade. I don't like your grade. And now you're going to have to come home every day after school and sit down and do your homework before you can do anything else. What does that accomplish? Maybe they'll get their homework done, but it'll be unpleasant. They're not going to be happy and they're not going to learn anything internally. We have to look at our role, again, as helping our kids learn skills that they can use as adults. And learning skills is a process. Learning to get your homework done, learning how to schedule out your afternoon and evening when I have pockets of time to do my homework. If I put my phone away, I'm more productive. These are all things that we can brainstorm with our kids. Like when we say, hey, let's figure this out. I'm here to help you. Let's Do you want to brainstorm some ideas, right, for a 12-year-old boy? He's going to say, okay, and then you come up with the ideas, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, that's the worst idea I ever heard. (laughs) It's never going to work. But if you say, hey, you know what? Go for it. Try that for a week, and let's meet in a week and see how it's going. And then we say nothing the whole week. And then we go, so did it work for you? You know, do you want to try it another week? Do you want to maybe try something else? Well, what do you think? What else do you think you could try? Right? And this is teaching instead of failing, instead of making mistakes, I think we should start to change the dialogue to learning about trial and error. I'm going to try this. Okay. Not so great for me. I'm going to try something else. I'm going to try something else. And maybe it takes a long time, but and that's the process, not only about learning that one particular thing, but learning how to think about problems and seeing how they work and not getting down on yourself because it didn't work and not having your parent yell at you because you screwed up. It becomes this open, healthy conversation. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, you certainly spent a lot of time mentoring people and mentoring others. Where do you look to find mentorship for you? Do you have a person or a group or something that fills your cup? Not one person, I would say. I'm part of this organization called Hey Mama, which I love. It's mamas around the country. A lot of them have little kids and some of them have grown kids and everything in between. And, you know, everyone's there to help each other, which is great. I have friends, I have 
business associates. I, I have a huge network of people that I can go to based on whatever it is that I want to talk about. And even my kids are support system for me now and my husband. Just that alone is so important to model for kids. You know, I think that especially, you know, at certain ages, they feel sort of that loneliness and being able to see, you know, their parent being able to talk through things or have those support networks, I think is really important because that's another great skill to have, to be able to have those people that you can turn to. My daughter's in grad school now. She's getting master's degrees in genetic counseling and another one in bioethics. The stuff she's learning in her counseling aspects, and there's the medical piece, and then there's the counseling, is so great. I mean, she's sharing stuff with me that I can use in my own work. That's the whole <laughs> circle, isn't it? I love that. It's I awesome. love that. <laughs> This has been so great. Um, as we close up, we like to do just a little bit of a speed round just to get to know a little bit more about you personally. So you just do like little quick one word answers. So what does your morning routine look like? Oh my gosh, I wish I had a morning routine. <laughs> Every time I try, it doesn't work. I'm not a morning person. Usually I need to just plan an exercise class, book it. It gets me up and out of bed. I need to have a little exercise to get my blood flowing in the morning and then I'm off to work. I hear you. Same here. So um, what are you currently reading or listening to? Um, I am about three quarters of the way done with a book called Mrs. Everything by Jennifer Weiner, which I really love. Oh, yeah. I like her. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I guess my first go-to podcast is how I built this. My second one Mm -hmm. is a new podcast started by a really, really close friend of mine called Interviews with Innocence, which, yeah, features experts in the field of children and spirituality. And they talk about how children understand and describe heaven and near-death experiences and accounts of past lives. And it's really, really interesting. And I love that whole world. Yeah, very interesting. All right, last question. What's one thing you can't live without? Oh gosh, I hate to say this, but it is my phone. (laughs) And the, the reason is, first of all, I mean, it keeps me connected to the people I love. Yeah. Whether it's a... Good morning and a good night text to both of my kids or, you know, quick little two minute phone calls when they're walking to class. It's a great device. Yeah. <laughs> I get a lot of work done on it. I do my crossword puzzle. So, Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing so openly and even just giving us some good tips and advice and tell everybody where they can find you. On the web, my website is theparentingmentor.com. I have, you know, a tip a day on Instagram, and that is at the Parenting Mentor. And that is also the same on Facebook. And on Twitter, it is at Parent Mentoring. And if you're interested, I have a book out on Amazon. It's called Parenting 101 Ways to Rock Your World Simple Strategies for Parenting with Sanity and Joy. Oh my goodness. All about checking that out because my word for 2020 is joy. Good. So sanity would be good too. Sanity (laughs) and joy. Like that sounds like the perfect combination. Right. (laughs) I love that. Well, thank you so much. It was really great chatting with you. Thank you. Yeah, and we'll look forward to following you. Great. Thanks for listening to the See It to Be It podcast. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice. Subscribe to our free weekly newsletter featuring a new woman to watch each week and check out over a thousand more featured women at onthedotwoman.com. Know someone we need to feature? Reach out at onthedotwoman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.